Welcome back to Blockchain for Beginners, the podcast where I take you through my journey of learning all about blockchain technology and everything that comes along with it. So today we are talking to Amy and I met Amy on Clubhouse. She's a certified chain analysis consultant, Web3, blockchain, and crypto coach. Her bio on Clubhouse reads that she is a Latina on a mission to educate millions of women in financial literacy through blockchain tech, decentralized finance, NFTs, and more without the overwhelm whilst developing a space to develop your critical thinking. So in this interview, we kind of go over a few different things. um, And the main point is the basics of NFTs really what what are nfts how you as an artist can get into the space and maybe some of the things to watch out for so i'm just going to head on right over to the interview and i hope that you guys enjoy it so first of all uh amy can you tell us about yourself in this space ah okay well i'll give you the long and short of it basically i had come to find out about bitcoin probably early on in the mid mid to late well actually early to 2000 late 2000s so literally like about 2010 2011 like before it went to you know when it started moving forward and i say that because the bitcoin white paper came out in 19 in 2009 in january and i read that white paper pretty much like right after that maybe like in in later in the year possibly even beginning of 2010 because I am from New York City, but Mm -hmm. I relocated for the technical work that I do to work in London for two and a half years. And when I had done that, I had left around 2009. So right there was when I was hearing quite a lot about it, but it was just grumblings and I was like, what is this? And I kind of just ignored it. And then I kept on just sort of hearing it in different places I was going because I'm also a yoga teacher. And I tend to engage in alternative communities. So I started to hear it there as well. So it just really inspired me to go a little bit deeper and to immerse myself into the study of blockchain, Bitcoin, Ethereum, cryptocurrencies, how to develop in the space, how to do business in the space, how and where use cases could be applied, helping with creators, getting into NFTs, consulting in that space as well, because I have a background in fashion and marketing, com. So that was the first half of my career. And the second half of my career was heavy tech, function tech, working with Fortune 100 companies, basically doing change management, organizational management, change management, business transformation, digital transformation, test and defect, just really everything that you do when you're working in a project that is transforming a system that operates the financials of the company that does, for example, manufacturing. Like, you know, you're in Canada, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I worked on the project for Loblaw. Okay. And Loblaw implemented SAP, and SAP is one of the big programs that I've been working with for over two decades as a consultant, external consultant. I really, uh, I want to say noticed you, but we were in the a clubhouse group together, And the one thing that I did want to ask you about was you had said that NFTs are not a bubble. They are a resurgence of a country, culture, and environment that's tired of being taken advantage of. And could you just touch on that a little bit here? 
yeah it's if you imagine if you imagine that the whole cryptocurrency space if you look at the time of years that it started so the white paper was 2009 and there was like an nft that came like it was the original pepe was a, a bitcoin meme which was the first nft if i'm not mistaken i have to double check my my notes but yeah uh, the reality is is that there was nfts back on bitcoin but it never really took off and then we went through when most people that call themselves OGs came in in 2013, which was eight years ago. And then most of the people that you see on Clubhouse are those that have come in by the means of NFTs, which is in essence non-fungible tokens. Okay. Some people would consider them to be a bubble, mainly because they don't understand the depth of how strong the community is. And as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, I studied fashion and art for four years, so I understand the creators, the creative economy, creative directors, photography, advertising, the whole soft industry creative verticals, right? The people that are looking at NFTs that are a bubble is that they see them as they can't, they don't really believe that they could drive the attention because they're just art. You know, there's still that adage where people are like, oh, it's just a JPEG. No, it's not. NFTs technically are democratizing. Uh, the decades of artists and creators not necessarily being valued for their work. But now this is the first opportunity where people are getting valued for their art and what they create. And if it's revolutionizing the space and why it's not a bubble, it's because it's brought so much, so many more eyes to the crypto space that ne that were not anywhere near here in 2017 or 13. So I see NFTs as the vehicle, as the conduit, as the catalyst that brought more people into the space. Another whole demographic. Definitely. I mean, um, I'm looking at them now, and I wasn't looking at them a few years ago, so... <laughs> exactly. And as a young adult, and as we have digital nomads, and we have people that are creators, and with social media and social commerce being so popular, TikTok, Instagram Reels, mm, you see it. Because that in, a sense, that in itself is creative and creative economy. Mm -hmm. So NFTs are, in essence, non-fungible tokens, and non-fungible tokens are still considered digital assets that are related to a creator's artwork, their creation. And art is only one of the use cases for NFTs. There's others, too. But they're not out yet. They're, they're still coming forward. And that will allow them to connect with their artwork as an asset versus just a piece of artwork on the wall and the beauty of the space is that you have so many more different collectors now from all walks of life art collecting has always been very elite to my opinion it's always been very elite it's always been very enchalant it's always been very top of line which means to collect art you were like considered rich mm -hmm. you know but that that isn't the case anymore now it's possible that someone like yourself, your peers, could own a really nice piece of artwork that's worth something. 
and it just increases with value. It's just in a, di a different medium, in this case, digital on blockchain. So if you could just um, take us through quickly, uh, if somebody has a piece of artwork, right, and it's not in an NFT, they've just made a piece of art, how do you then turn that into an NFT or what resources would you give somebody that's looking to get into the space? It's a great question. Well, first and foremost, one, the resources I would give them become quite limited because everything is so overwhelming because there is so much noise in the space as well and not everyone knows what they're doing and not everyone has been in the space for a long period of time that they can explain things in a way that it'll fall into the listening. So the first and foremost, I would ask the person to really assess the expectation that they have before they step in. Because not every artist that comes in is gonna sell their work. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're just not. It's just a realistic component of it. It requires a lot of understanding and acceptance before even stepping in. Depending on what your medium of art is, would be dependent on how you could present it within, for example, OpenSea or Rarible, which are two marketplaces where you could do something called mint your NFT. And mint is a word, is a term of creating your own NFT. And what I've been working on is there's two ways, there's a couple of ways in which you could mint your first NFT, and one of them is through the use of OpenSea's lazy minting, which is effective for someone to come in and have a very basic smart contract, right? And a smart contract is what navigates the NFT being presented to the person for sale, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're on OpenSea, you'd have to mint it which is created on OpenSea through lazy minting. And then from there, you can put it to sale. But the smart contract is what allows for those transactions to happen. But there's the other side of it too, where an artist could navigate with someone like myself who's, who understands the smart contract development process and is been in the space of smart contract development and decentralized app development and be able to say, hey, can you help me? And this is what I want to do. I'd like to do it on my own web page. Can you help me do this? And what will that cost me? You know, and this is where it requires a little bit of an understanding of the art process. You know, like because people will create art and you could mint it. Like Nyla, who is a long necky ladies, the artist beyond the long necky ladies, 12 year old girl. You know, it was, it was drawn up, it was minted. She had an artist and a developer working with her team and they were able to execute it and it sold out. But the provenance of that particular NFT was because it was a 12 year old artist. Mm. So if an artist wants to come in, A, everyone is an artist. B, one has to be at least aware of where they want to go so that they can at least have some trajectories, some, some steps on where they, where they want to end up. So if someone's coming in to be an art to mint their first NFT, I would say, hey, go to OpenSea and take a look at the Dutch style auction that OpenSea is. 
start to read up on some of those basic documents that OpenSea has because they're, they're, they're clear enough to read, but also recognize that we're going into a heavy technical space where it's hard to wrap your mind around it if you're not always working in the space. You really have to upskill yourself around the, around the vocabulary, around the terminology, around the processes, at least so you don't get wrecked. Yeah. And do you think that the same thing applies, like, uh, should artists be just creating what they want to create, what they love to create, or should they be thinking about, um, you know, because NFTs are so... I feel like it's it's a just it's a bit different even though it is art. So you have to think about maybe um, bringing historical things into it. Do you think that um, do you think that art with a message behind it or something that has historical significance would maybe um, be I don't want to say more important, but um, you know, very significant? It's a valid statement, Carly. It's a valid statement. The significance of the use cases of NFTs are, there's a lot of them. The current use case is artwork, right? The current use case that you're seeing a lot is artwork. But also, I, you know, there are use cases that I'm in conversation with to bring certain, certain products onto the blockchain for provenance because nfts have three specific things to them they have authenticity they prove authenticity they prove provenance and they prove ownership mm-hmm. and that's those three things apo or is like your your acronym of the three things that an nft has to have and that can be a piece of music that could be a piece of artwork. That could be a piece of real estate. That could be that could be something else. You know, there's there's definite things. There's a lot of use cases for NFTs, but there's only been a certain amount of use cases right now that are coming forward. Yeah, I heard. Well, definitely. I whenever I hear that, I think of I go to books automatically, um, and then I heard that um, it might be changing like how employment happens because uh, NFTs could verify people's resumes like automatically um, stuff like that so that's kind of cool yeah it, I mean this it's, it's really cool because if you imagine future generations right the future generations are really really powerful you know the future generations are going to be what is it going to look like for them going forward now, what's it going to look like in 10 years from now? And you're absolutely correct. You could be tokenizing your services, which I'm doing currently is tokenizing my services. Mm-hmm. And as I tokenize my services, I make it very easy for people to pay me from all over the world for my services. And as we move into this post-pandemic world, we have to also be aware that we have to be truly, truly present to what our value is that we offer and bring to the table when engaging in an office or with work, any which way imaginable. And we all have skills to bring to the table, but I find it's ple- a pleasure to work in flatter, flatter hierarchy, flat 
hierarchy structures than a tiered infrastructure where you have a, a CEO at the top. In a flat structure, everyone's considered important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That <laughs> does sound very nice. <laughs> um. it's, it's a pleasure because everyone has a skill. So that's the best part about it. Everyone's got a skill. And that's what makes it, you know, makes it powerful. That's cool. So my last question would be um, sure. here for you. Like, I know that we kind of talked about it in the beginning, but why do you feel like public decentralized blockchains are important? <laughs> oh, that's always an interesting one because it goes, it, it's a longer question to answer than just, it's, just, it's a less simple answer because it's, it's interconnected. You know, I mean, to have a public blockchain means that it's transparent what goes on where it can be seen. And this is something where it portrays the ideal model, right? And, it, and it's, it's completely decentralized, so no one single organization will control that ecosystem. Whereas a private one can be adjusted and altered by the organization that owns it. And a public blockchain just surpasses the necessity of having external parties and intermediaries getting involved. So you really, I think part of this, Carly, comes from also recognizing that there's many businesses that we're seeing there post-pandemic. I mean, we've just gone through a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you're kind of seeing the impact of this pandemic, right? Yeah. We have to do something. <laughs> we have to. This isn't even, this. we have to. We're in a position right now where it's like supply chains are getting stuck. There's a lot of things that are not working. But part of it's also been that everything's been opaque to us. Yeah. We need greater transparency. We need user empowerment. We need immutability. We need true decentralized structures. I'm excited about it and I think, um, you know, coming into the space and learning about it, the more I learn and the more people I talk to, I just get even more excited and it's so fascinating. I wanted to thank you very much for taking the time to talk no, to me. No, you're very welcome. I wanted to thank you too because it's so great that you're getting the basics out there and that's super important because we have to crawl before we could walk and walk before we could run and so many people are just like, oh my God, it's so amazing, they're FOMOing in. And I just really don't want to see people, I want to see people fall in love with this space and be excited about this space, mm -hmm. then kind of get hurt by it and then be salty over it. All of Amy's information, her Instagram, Twitter, where you can find her will be linked in the podcast description. So be sure to go there if you want to learn more about Amy and what she does. And for everybody listening, the Blockchain for Beginners podcast now has a Discord where we can hang out and chat. You can ask questions. And if you are an artist and you're working on an NFT drop, you can be sure to go to our Discord and let everybody know there as well because that's another place where you can uh, share what you're doing. So I'm excited for the Discord and that will also be linked down below. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and making it possible.